Good morning. Good morning. Hey, Annie. Hi, Alex. Hey, Sandy. How are you? Well, I know we've prayed like three times already this morning, but I need to pray again before we get started, okay? Yep. Our God and Father, we just thank you so much for all that you are, Lord, and all that you do in each of our lives, Lord. And um, Lord, as you know, I prepared uh, here for this today, Lord, and um, I ask, Lord, that despite all the preparation, Lord, that you would show up here, Lord, and be glorified, Lord. It's, it's not me. All the preparation I've done, all the studying and praying, Lord, uh, will mean nothing, Lord, unless you show up here and do a work, Lord. So I just ask for that, Lord. I ask that you would settle my nerves, Lord, and that you would uh, make the words that come out of my mouth be yours and be able to be received by the people, Lord, by your people, and that your people wouldn't see me fumbling around <coughs> up here, Lord, but they would just see uh, you working, Lord. And I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good morning. Glad you're all here. I'd like to say that I'm glad to be here, but I'd be much happier sitting out there than standing up here. Um, we're going to be uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 2. So you guys can go ahead and turn there. I'm going to read the first seven verses. <clears throat> Two of them, Rich has already done. I'll go over that real quick, but I just want to get, uh, I want to read this first so you guys can all be on the same page as me. 2 Timothy 2, starting in verse 1, says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. In the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he completes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say... And may the Lord give you understanding in all things. I'm going to start in verse 7 because that's what helped me prepare for today. I had to consider all of these things that God was saying to me in this section uh, of Scripture. Consider them and think about them. And, you know, think long and hard on what it means to be a soldier, what it means to be an athlete, and what it means to be a farmer. And also what it means to be strong in grace and passing that baton on, as Rich was talking about last week. So, despite all the things you're going to hear from me today, what I came up with from considering what God has to say about these things, I'd encourage you all to go do the same. See what God has to say to you specifically about what it means to be a soldier, what it means to be a, an athlete and a farmer. So, over the last two weeks, Rich has been teaching, uh, Rich taught from verse 1 and 2. And verse 1, uh, again, says, You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And notice there how it, that's not a suggestion. That's not, you know, a request. Paul's telling Timothy here, he's commanding him to be strong in the grace. And Rich taught on that extensively uh, two weeks ago, so I'm not going to get too heavy into that. But it's important to keep in context to what we're going to be studying today. It's that grace that, Timothy's being encouraged or commanded to be strong in that he needs 
to fulfill the rest of the things that Paul instructs him to do, be a soldier, be an athlete, uh, and be a farmer. He's, you know, we talked about being strong in the grace. It's, it's not being strong in your own strength or your own ability or your own resources. Uh, that'll get us nowhere. That would get Timothy nowhere in what he's being called to do, and that'll get us nowhere. If we try to rely on our own strength, our own ability, and what God would have us to do, we're going to fall flat on our face. So we need to be strong in that grace. It's that same grace that gives life to the dead. It's the same grace that raised Jesus from the dead. And we, we can receive that grace and be strong in it by faith in Jesus. There's power in that grace. In Titus, it talks about that grace being a training grace. It teaches us and trains us. Um, and that's what we need. We need to be discipled. We need to grow and mature and learn how to be strong in that grace. Um, also, uh, to, last week, Rich talked about passing on that baton, passing it on, to, passing the truths of the gospel to faithful men. Paul commanded Timothy to pass on the truths of the gospel to other men who would be faithful or reliable to continue passing it along. <clears throat> the command to Timothy and to each of us who call ourselves Christians, who call ourselves followers of Jesus Christ, is to be strong in the grace of God and to pass it on. Pass on the truths of the gospel. The truth of Jesus. Now, Paul knows this is a tall order. This isn't going to be a cakewalk for, for Timothy, and it's not going to be a cakewalk for us. It's hard. Uh, walking the Christian life, I'd like to say, is easy, um, but it's not. It's hard. It, it's, it has its challenges. It has its difficulties. It has its sacrifice and its suffering. It's part of the walk. It's part of the following. And we need God's grace to get us through that. Just because it's hard, though, it doesn't mean we, we don't have to do it. So many things in life are difficult, and we still have to do them. It's hard getting up to go to work every morning. It's hard getting up and taking, kids, taking care of kids every day. But we have to do it. We're called to do those things. Um, we're called to do those things just in regular life, but then also God puts a calling in our lives to be strong in the grace, be a soldier, pass on the truths of the gospel, be an athlete, be a, a farmer. Um, so Paul's giving Timothy this instruction or this command, and he knows um, that it's not going to be a walk in the park. Paul, right now, as he's writing this, is sitting in prison, and he's on death row because he had been strong in the grace that God gave him because he had been passing on the baton, because he had been staying strong in the grace that God gave him. The, re the reward for Paul in this life was nothing great. I mean, he's been in prison. He's, he's been beaten. We're going to look there for a second, right? Paul, in a minute, Paul's command here doesn't come, with some, doesn't come from someone who doesn't know how difficult it's going to be. You know, it's not some bureaucrat sitting in an office somewhere just telling Timothy, hey, go do this, like it's, it's some, uh, you know, easy thing to do. Paul's been through it. And Paul's writing this to Timothy because it appears anyway that Timothy's having some trouble. And in in the, the theme of this letter has to do with encouraging Timothy. You know, possibly uh, Timothy is just trying to deal with all the politics of being a pastor, just all the challenges that come with it. And perhaps he's on his, uh, on his last leg here. He's on his last rope and he's ready to give up. And Paul's writing this to him to encourage him, saying, you know, stay the course, stick with it. Um, 
But again, Paul knows what he's asking Timothy to do here. Well, let's look at uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 for a minute. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 24 through 38 says, and this is Paul speaking, From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep, in journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils of the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among the false brethren, in weariness and toil, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fasting often, in cold and nakedness, besides the other things that come upon me daily, my deep concern for all the churches. Do you think Paul had it easy? <laughs> Doesn't sound like it, right? <laughs> That's a lot of perils. I mean, Paul understands and knows full well that the instruction that he's given Timothy here is going to come at a cost. It's going to be difficult. <clears throat> and think about how much Paul cares for Timothy. Paul loves Timothy. He speaks to him as like a son. And to give him this kind of instruction or command, knowing that the cost that's involved in it, um, it must be important, right? But he knows full well what this, where this command will lead or could lead Timothy. And God knows full well, because as we read these scriptures, we know that this isn't just Paul writing to Timothy. This is God speaking to each one of us. Now, we're not all called to be pastors, but we are called to follow Jesus, if you're here, it's because you have in your heart a desire to hear from God and to serve him. And these commands can be applied to us. These directions can be applied to us. Um, let me turn back to 2 Timothy now. <clears throat> but Paul knows that uh, the commands that he's giving Timothy here there's going to be suffering involved. There's going to be pain. There's going to be sacrifice. It's going to be difficult. That's why he starts off in the beginning with be strong in the grace because apart from that grace, it's impossible to get through these things. You think Paul could have gotten through all those perils, the shipwrecks, the beatings, the whatever, if he wasn't strong in the grace of God? He would have given up, right? I would have given up probably the first time I was shipwrecked or stoned. I don't, I don't know if I would have kept with it. But uh, Paul here, uh, being called by God to, to minister and share the gospel, pass that baton on, was strong in the grace and sets a good example for us here, sets a good example for Timothy. So in these next verses, that's just kind of a recap of one and two. Um, in these next verses here, uh, Paul gives three metaphors to encourage and instruct Timothy on how to obey these commands, on how to obey the command to be strong in the grace and to pass on that baton to faithful men. And without being strong in the grace of God, it's going to be impossible. 
The first metaphor, or the first illustration, is that of a soldier. And I know a little bit about being a soldier. I was in the Army. Uh, secondly is an athlete. Uh, I'm not an athlete, but you know, I do go to the gym. I, do, I know a little bit about athletics. And the third is a farmer, which I know nothing about. <laughs> I can't even keep my grass from turning brown. So, um, but I did do some research and considered it, like it said in, in verse 7, and tried to come up with what God might have to say through that. So the first is a soldier. I'm going to read the verse 3 again. You, therefore, must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who enlisted him as a soldier. So a soldier. What's a soldier? I mean, that's the first thing I asked myself. What, what does he mean by a soldier? A soldier is a warrior, a fighter, a person who wages war. Someone who goes to battle. The first comparison Paul uses here is that for Timothy and for us is that of a warrior. So I started thinking to myself, uh, Christians, followers of Jesus, are we really called to be warriors? Aren't Christians called to be peacemakers? Most Christians looked at as like pacifists. They avoid conflict for the most part. Doesn't seem to match up, does it? Being a soldier or a warrior and a peacemaker and uh, a pacifist. So I had to consider that for a while and prayed about it. And this is, again, what I've come up with, but I encourage you all to, to, to pray about it yourselves and think about it. First of all, speaking about peacemakers, yes, Jesus does say, blessed are the peacemakers. We, we are all called to be peacemakers, but primarily the peace that we as Christians have to offer is between God and man. That, that's our call. That, that's our priority. Now, are we called to make peace between people and ourselves? Yes, if possible. I mean, yeah, we're not supposed to go around being hostile and looking for conflict with people all the time, but it's not always possible. To have peace with. Can we have peace with people who vehemently hate us and oppose everything we believe and think? Anyway, uh, peace isn't exactly just a lack of hostility. <laughs> There's a difference. Okay? Peace is actually, true peace for us as believers comes between me and Denise, me and Lisa, me and Chris, between me and all you guys because that's a gift of the Holy Spirit. That's a working of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's how we can have true peace. Okay? And true peace only comes from the Holy Spirit. And, sorry, I thought you were raising your hand. <laughs> I'm used to doing a Bible study with kids on Thursday night, and they're raising their hands all the time, so I have to stop what I'm doing. But anyway, the, the peace. Primarily, the peace that we have to offer is between man and God. Um, and pacifists? Well, throughout Scripture, the people of God were called to fight. I mean, have any of you read the Old Testament? Does it sound like those people were called to peace? It goes all the way back to Genesis. Abraham raises an army to go rescue his nephew Lot. And throughout Scripture, throughout Exodus, you get into Joshua, Judges, Kings, Chronicles. I mean, it's constant conflict, constant battle. We are called to fight. I know that's Old Testament, but we're still God's people. Paul's telling Timothy here, you must fight for those things that you heard from him. You must fight 
to share the gospel. You must fight to share those truths. Don't let the enemy steal or smack that baton out of your hand. As a soldier, you need to guard those truths of the gospel, hold fast to them, and fight for them. That's what soldiers do. Soldiers, soldiers guard things and fight. It's their main, main jobs. We are called as Christians, as followers of Jesus, to wage war against our enemy. Now, who is our enemy? We have three, right? The world, the flesh, and the devil, right? Those, those are our enemies. How do we fight them? All right, 2 Corinthians 10. Second Corinthians 10, verses 3 through 6. This is Paul here again speaking. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. I'm going to stop there for a second. We are called to battle. We are called for war. But our warfare is not flesh. It's, it's not against a person. It's not against an individual. It's not against a nation. It's not against a different idea or ideals. But we are still called to fight. But our, our fighting is not fleshly. We're not called to jihad. We're not called to go into other nations and force them to convert or kill them. That's just not Christian. That's not what Jesus is asking us to do here. Verse 4 says, For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments in every high, <clears throat> excuse me, every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ and being ready to punish all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. That speaks to the spiritual warfare that all of us of Christians, as Christians are called uh, to be part of. <clears throat> the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. They're not weapons of you know, guns or tanks or... Or bombs. It's, that's not how we engage in warfare. Our, our warfare is the truth. Our weapon is the truth. The truth of God. And we need to fight for that truth to be preserved and be spread in this planet. On this planet. In this world. How do we do that? With our words. Proclaiming those truths. Proclaiming the gospel. Proclaiming what God has to say about things. What God has to say is right. What God has to say is wrong. That's our job. That's how we fight. We don't just take a back seat. If, if something's happening right in our midst, right, right in front of us, that is just wrong, we have a responsibility and a duty to say something about it. We can't just take a back seat, put our hands in our pockets and put our heads down and walk away like it's not happening. We have a duty. That's one thing about a soldier. They get their orders and it's their responsibility to do it. And Paul says here, if you want to be a good soldier, you don't get involved in civilian affairs. We want to be good soldiers for Christ. So we have three enemies, the devil, the world, and the flesh, and we engage in warfare against those things spiritually, uh, prayerfully, and, and protecting and preserving the truths of God. For Timothy here in Ephesus, uh, one of the battles that he's facing as a soldier is from within the church. 
wolves. In chapters 3 and 4, uh, in chapter 3, verses 1 through 9, Paul's referring to, we don't have to turn there, it's a pretty extensive list, but there's problems going on right within the church. And again in chapters 4, verses 3 through 5. The enemy that he has to face, or one of the enemies that Timothy has to face here, is from right within the church, right from within his own fellowship. Liars, people who are lying, distorting the truth. This, distorting the truth that Timothy's been called to pass on. And that's the, these wolves that have come into Ephesus and are leading people astray. That, that's just such an offense to God. He has his innocent sheep here, you know, and, and wolves are coming in and devouring them. The, the wolves are, you know, they're guilty in and of themselves as a problem, but what, what God hates so much about that and why it's so important for Timothy to guard those truths is because it's leading people astray. It's causing other people to sin, causing other people to err. And, and God doesn't want that. So we, as soldiers of Christ, need to be on guard for that. We need to be watching for that right within our own fellowship. It happens. Do you think that just some wolf comes into some church somewhere and says, hey, I'm a wolf, I'm going to start leading this section of the room astray? Of course not. It doesn't happen like that. It's small and insidious and quiet and sneaky, and it happens. And it destroys churches, it destroys lives. And that's why God hates it. How do we combat that kind of treachery, that kind of destruction? With the truth. Okay, We need, as soldiers of God, to confront those kinds of things. We need to take a stand, and we need to battle them. And we battle them with God's truth. Timothy, as a soldier, has a duty, a responsibility to fight, to fight off those wolves. Not only pass on the truth that he's been called to pass on uh, in, chapter, in verse 2, but to guard it and to fight to protect it. And all of us have that responsibility to fight and protect the truths of God. So I was a soldier. I, I was in the army. And as a soldier in the army, I, I had a... There were some challenges. I know quite a few of you have been in the service. Larry, right? Larry, Kelly, this new guy, Bob, from Hawaii. Scott. Scott sorry. <laughs> I met him this morning. Um, Mike, and a few others. And so you guys probably know a little bit what I'm talking about here. It was hard, especially basic training. But I tell you, I had a blast. It was some of the funnest things I've ever done was in the Army. It, it, it wasn't all bad, but it was challenging. It was, there was some suffering. It wasn't easy. There was a lot of sacrifice and a lot of suffering involved. Now, there are so many comparisons I could try to make here from being in the army and being called to be a soldier of Christ. Um, but I'm just going to, one comes to mind, and one came to mind especially that <clears throat> I wanted to talk about. You know, when you join the army, the first thing that happens when you get there is they take everything you own. <laughs> Every single thing, your, your clothing, your, even your like, personal hygiene gear gets taken. And they shove it in a bag somewhere. And I, I can't say for certain, but I don't remember seeing it until I graduated basic training, right? I don't, you never even saw it again. I don't even know what they did with it. They put it in a bag, they put your name on it, and it was gone. You get stripped of all your personal belongings. 
you get stripped of pretty much all of your identity. I went in there as Alex Moss from Fall River, and before I, jeez, I, I, I was there maybe five hours, and I wasn't even Alex anymore. Everyone had the same first name, private. It was, that was it, private and your last name. That was, I didn't know most of the guys' first names. You get stripped of all your identity and all of your individuality, which is kind of strange, right? You think about it? Especially now with the, you know, the commercials about joining the army now. It's not like when I joined. Um, the army of one? I don't, I don't even understand that, the, the concept of that. An army of one, I, I guess that just plays into what the culture is now, um, you know, just being, being alone, a loner or something. Because the army is anything but being one person. <laughs> so you get there and you were, you know, you're, you're there, basically training, they take your stuff away, they cut your hair, you all look the same. You, you, <laughs> you all wear the same clothes. You all get the same haircut. You all sleep in the same kind of barracks eat the same food at the same time of day as everyone else, sleep and get up at the same time. It, it's, it's just, it's, any, any individuality has been like taken away from you. You're just, you're a soldier now, you're a private. So again, like I went from Alex to private in, in a short amount of time. And, you know, for some of us, and even, I don't remember for me if, it, if that was something that was that difficult for me, but I'm sure, you know, losing your individuality, if I really thought about it at the time, may have been something that irritated me, but at the time, I really didn't think about it that much because I knew I was becoming part of something bigger than I was as just myself. I was a soldier in the U.S. Army with all the responsibility of that, all the privileges of that. And how you conduct myself at that point, how I conducted myself, how I behaved, how I acted, how I spoke, reflected on the whole army, not just me, whether good or bad. And that's the same thing for Timothy here and the same thing for us. Also being part of the army meant, <clears throat> you know, being that not just that one man, an individual, meant I was protected. I'm not sure that it's as much today as it was years ago in the military or the army. But at one point, man, if you were in the army and, and you got captured or attacked by an enemy, I mean, that could bring down the entire weight of the nation and the army and the armed forces to get you back and protect you. I'm not sure it's still like that today. I'm not turning this into anything political, but... It, it, I'm not sure it's the same way anymore. But it is that way in God's army. It is that way as a soldier of God. We're not alone. We're an army. I know in movies nowadays, they like to show like one soldier going in and taking on like an entire platoon or 50 guys of the enemy. That, that's not how the army really works, in case any of you thought that. You're not alone. As a soldier of Christ, you are not alone. And again, like they stripped away my identity. Well, when I became a soldier of God, I get a new identity too. <laughs> it's <pretty> awesome. <laughs> Not just an individual. I'm part of something bigger. I'm part of the church. In Matthew 16, 18, Jesus says that even the gates of hell cannot prevail against our church, against his church. And that's us. That's awesome. 
Paul says in verses uh, 3 and 4, as a good soldier, if you want to be a good soldier, don't entangle yourselves in civilian affairs. But seek to please your commanding officer. Who's our commanding officer? God, Jesus, right? Well, what are civilian affairs? I had to think about that for a while. What are civilian affairs? What? Ways of the world? Yeah. Is a job a civilian affair? Should I not be concerned about my job? Huh? It's all what? Let's all quit. Yeah, I wish it was, right? (laughs) Well, anything that hinders or permits or or, uh, prevents us from following our orders. Those are civilian affairs. If we want to please our commanding officer and be a good soldier, we need to remove those things that are going to get in the way of that. If we seek to please our commanding officer, Jesus, then we get then we can't get wrapped up in things that stop us from completing that mission. For Timothy, here in this section of Scripture, his mission is to pass on the baton, to faith, uh, pass on the truths of the gospel of the baton to faithful men. Anyone who wasn't here last week, sorry, I keep saying baton. Rich had like a picture of uh, Olympic runners up there passing the baton down in a relay race. So anyone who's here last week knows what I'm talking about. But... Um, Timothy's job here is to pass on that baton. That's his mission. And anything that would get in the way of that would be civilian affairs. Now, I don't know what your mission is as a soldier, you know, but you have one. If you're a soldier, you have a mission. And we need to complete it. If we want to please our commanding officer, then we need to find out what our mission is and complete it and not get wrapped up in civilian affairs. Second comparison... Uh, Paul gives here in verse 5 is that of an athlete. I'll read that verse again. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. So an athlete. No, I'm not an athlete. I've never really competed in anything athletic, but um, I do watch a lot of sports on TV, I guess. Maybe that means... Actually, I don't watch a lot of sports. All I watch is UFC, MMA fighting on TV. I don't even really watch any other sports. I'm not really that interested in them. But there are a lot of things come to mind when you think of an athlete. Training, discipline, practice, and drive. Those are some of the things that I thought about. Training, I mean, countless hours in the gym or on the track or running day and day day after day after day. Discipline, I mean, athletes, if they want to compete in a way that's, you know, uh, equal or close to the high levels of athletics, then there are things that they have to rule out of their lives. There are things they just can't do. Practice, I mean, again, with the training and the practice, I mean, these guys are, are practicing their trade over and over and over and over again. And drive, I mean, you ever, you ever listen to some athletes, like especially Olympic athletes? I mean, every, there, there's nothing else in their life. They're, they're not even concerned about anything. They don't, you ask them what movie they saw, like they haven't seen a movie in 10 years. You know, they don't, they don't spend time sitting around watching TV. You know, they, they have drive. Every moment they have is given to, to fulfilling, uh, to being good at their, uh, their event. Everything they do is directed at achieving their goal for an athlete. To be the best at whatever they whatever event they compete in. 
They're driven to win. To be the best and to take the belt or the medal or whatever they're competing for, whatever the, the reward is in that event that they're fighting or going for. They sacrifice so much to train, time and diet and sleep for months and years on end, all leading up to the day of, of a competition. But all that sacrifice can be for nothing if in the event they break the rules. They'd be disqualified. All that sacrifice that they made, all that training that they did, all that discipline, all that time that they put into it will all be for nothing. How does that apply to Timothy and to us? How can we be disqualified? Well, there are rules to a competition, right? I mean, in fighting, like, like I watch, I can speak a little bit on the rules there. You can't kick a downed opponent. In running, you can't leave your lane. Uh, in baseball, you have to hit the ball within the fair playing grounds. There are rules. <clears throat> and there are rules in life as well. There's a right way to do things, and there's a wrong way to do things. The Bible also talks about there are good motives for doing things and bad motives for doing things. <clears throat> now, this isn't speaking about uh, Timothy's salvation. It's not speaking about our salvation either. Timothy's saved. He's secure. This isn't about him. His re the reward that Paul's talking about here is not his salvation. This is a, a crown or a treasure. That's, that's a reward for competing in a way that's uh, according to the rules. And we can receive those as well. We can receive a reward. Is it, do you think there's anything wrong with running in a way or competing in this life or living this life in a way that you, know, you want to get a reward for? I don't think there's anything wrong with that. There's, there's nothing wrong with that at all. I want to be able to get a, a wreath or, or whatever the reward is and then hand it back to Jesus and say thank you because he's the one who deserves it. It's all from him. I want to have something to offer him. We ought to have, want to have something to offer him. <clears throat> if we want to have something to offer him, then our service has to be done right, the right way. Our motives have to be right as well. Or we'll be disqualified, and we'll have nothing to receive and then nothing to offer Jesus. What are some things that might disqualify us? Well, how about serving God for recognition or for the praises of men or taking that glory for ourselves? Those are things that will definitely disqualify us. We'll have our reward here on, on earth, all the praise from the people. <laughs> or perhaps serving God for financial gain. Now, I'm going to get to that with the farmer, uh, the hardworking farmer here, but... Um, the main passion or the main drive for a pastor or a leader especially isn't to receive financial gain. I think most pastors that I talk to or have met would do it for, for nothing. It's just their heart. They've been called. And whether they're paid for it or not is, uh, is irrelevant. But that does happen. The motives of, of some people is for dishonest gain or for financial gain, fleecing the flock, right? Teaching for, for profit. Or how about living a life of sin that nobody knows about? You think that disqualifies you? 
I could be up here preaching and, and teaching and everything like that, but I got this whole hidden life of sin that, you know, nobody knows about. Do you think when I die and stand before God at the Bema Seat Judgment, I'm going to get a crown? Because in front of everybody, I did the right thing? No. Those hidden sins, those things that uh, each of us struggle with, those things need to be dealt with. Be confessed and repented of for us to not be disqualified. So those are just some of the examples of disqualifying ourselves so we receive no crown, no reward, and we'll have nothing to offer to Jesus. And that'd just be sad. Next, the farmer. It says here in verse 6, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. So Paul's next illustration or comparison here is between a, a, a follower and a farmer. Not just a farmer, though. He says here, a hardworking farmer. Is farming hard work? Is it? Is there a lot of farmers in here? A couple. From what I see, it seems like endless. <laughs> like you're constantly out there pruning, watering, and all kinds of stuff. It must take a lot of diligence, a lot of patience, and just back-breaking work, like day after day after day, week after week. The goal for a farmer is to produce a crop that can be used to sustain them and their families and possibly you know, to sell or trade to others. But the goal is to produce a crop, a good crop. Paul's telling Timothy to work hard. It's like being a farmer. You can't just coast through. Can you like just decide to take a vacation if you have a farm and like go away for two weeks? Can you? Who's a f- Justin? Can you? <laughs> Ryan, if you have help, but somebody needs to still—I mean, daily—somebody needs to be taking, yeah, maintenance on that, right? A gardener. I can't believe you just admitted that in front of everybody. Gardener. You do flowers and stuff? <laughs> sorry. So, I don't, I'm only kidding. I'm sorry. Paul's telling Timothy here to work hard. You can't coast through. Being a farmer isn't something you can just do part-time. It's a daily grind that you must endure. It takes constant attention, maintenance. It needs to be given to the crops. It needs to be constant, you know, every daily watering, weeding, pruning, chasing off the birds and the rabbits. And the rabbits, yeah. Justin's been telling me about the rabbits eating his stuff, so. But all that work, all that work will pay off and produce a good crop. A good crop is a blessing from the Lord, isn't it? For Timothy here as a pastor, uh, sorry, lost my place here. But it's, uh, as a pastor, he gets to partake of that crop. Justin, do you eat the stuff that you grow in your garden? Ryan, do you? Anyone? Uh, you guys, right? Haven't gotten anything yet? Well, keep at it. Hard working. You'll get it. <laughs> Eventually, they're going to get something to eat, too. You're the first to partake of what God gives, of the increase of the, of the, of the, the crops. Now, that definitely has to do here with some financial things, all right? As a pastor for Timothy, he is to receive 
monetary compensation for what he's doing here. He should be, for all the hard work that he's putting in, he should be compensated for it. As a pastor, hardworking, he is to receive from the church. That's, that's, part, of, that's part of what Paul's saying here, for sure. Um, as a Christian, we need to work as hard as the farmer does, as diligently as the farmer does, as daily as the farmer does. And there's a blessing in that for us, too. Well, I'm just about out of time here. so. Um, but again, I want you guys to... Follow what Paul says in, in verse 7 here. Consider what I say. Don't consider what I just said. Consider what God has to say through Paul about being a soldier, an athlete, and a farmer. Consider what he has to say. And God will give you understanding in all these things. So I'd encourage you guys to all do that. What, what does it mean, God, to be a farmer and an athlete and a, uh, a soldier for you? Well, let's pray. God, we thank you so much for your word and how it instructs us and corrects us and encourages us. And uh, I pray, Lord, that for each of us here, Lord, that we would know what it means to be a soldier for you, an athlete for you, and a farmer, Lord. All those things that come with, uh, with being those things. Help us, Lord, to be strong in the grace that you offer, Lord. And Lord, I want to pray for anyone here, Lord, who might not know you, Lord, who might not be part of your family, Lord. I pray that your spirit would be working in their hearts right now, Lord, that they would want to know what it means to be a soldier, what it, what it means to be strong in the grace of God, Lord. And that's a work that only you can do, Lord, in someone's heart and someone's mind, Lord. I pray that you would be uh, doing that work here, Lord, if anyone's here who doesn't know you, that you would be uh, bringing that peace that only you offer uh, between you and man, Lord. I pray that you would be doing that work in people's lives right now. Again, Lord, we just thank you for this day and, and just all, that, all the ways that you bless us and take care of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.